This podcast is brought to you by Hound. Hound comments on style violations and GitHub pull requests, allowing you and your team to better review and maintain a clean code base. Try it now at houndci.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And with me today is Curtis Herbert, independent app developer and the creator of Slopes. Curtis, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So what is Slopes? So Slopes is a GPS app for skiers and snowboarders. Uh, most people, usually the way I'll explain it is think Nike Plus, RunKeeper, Strava, MapMyRun, all those fitness apps that running uh, people love to strap their phone to their arm for. Slopes is the same thing, but specifically for the skiing and snowboarding niche. And it's something that those running apps can't really do because runners don't have lifts and runs to worry about. Uh, so that's why this kind of GPS space is specific to winter sports. And Slopes is for iOS and Apple Watch? Yes. Yep. Cool. So at this point, do you work on Slopes full-time? Yeah, it's looking like I'm going to start being able to with this season. Uh, the revenue numbers, so obviously Slopes is pretty seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really get most of my revenue between November and April-ish. And so early season numbers coming in right now, it looks like. Last year was very close to I could justify full-time at a kind of a... Just kind of squeaking by, um, but this year it's looking like it's a healthy full time, uh, even for what iOS dev rates could be. Um, Congratulations! So it's looking like yeah, it's it's kind of scary and intimidating because now I have to grow the thing. Um, but it's looking like this season I could justify going full time on it. So when you aren't working on slopes, what have you been spending your time on? Uh, so most of that is I do some consulting work, uh, just me and a friend of mine. Um, we have Breakpoint Studio as our consulting agency, mm-hmm. and we have a couple clients through there um, that we've been working with. And that's kind of how both of us have paid the bills with our other side endeavors, not quite picking up the slack there yet. Yeah. And how have you found those clients? Do they find you? Yeah, a lot of that's been word of mouth. Um, I had been freelance consulting uh, to make myself feel old here, but since 2000, uh, back when I was doing more stuff on the web with PHP, stuff like that. And so I've been consulting for a long time and just moved into the iOS side of consulting maybe 2009, 2010. So I've had some form of client base for a very long time, and that's started to get a a healthy enough set of referrals to keep two people busy. Mm Mm-hmm. And is it web stuff as well, or or has it mostly been iOS? Nowadays, it's mostly been iOS. Um, I still do web on my backend stuff for Slopes. I wrote my own backend in Laravel, uh, PHP framework I actually like a lot. Um, so I still do web stuff, but I don't think I'd want to consult there right now. Mm-hmm. I've, I've started to feel a little bit left behind. I got out of web probably about when Ember and Angular and all those were getting pretty popular. Mm-hmm. So while I can still do stuff for my own that I like, I, I wouldn't want to consult there right now. I, I, I'd, I'd feel behind. I've been focused on iOS for too long. How did you find juggling or maybe handling the balance of client work versus working on your own products? Because Slopes is so seasonal, I think that actually helped me Mm -hmm. a little bit. So from a customer interaction standpoint, customer support, marketing, stuff like that, that very much lines up a bell curve over the season. So I really couldn't do much client work in January, February, March, but that all kind of stayed contained in that time frame. So during the summer or during the fall, I would have the ability to go on and take some contracting work. And fortunately, because of the timing of that bell curve, I would know early in my year what my revenue was looking like for slopes. Uh, you know, with it being over in May-ish, 
I would know like, okay, this is the gap I have to fill. So it actually kind of worked out nice that I had a seasonal app in that way. It, it made it a little bit easier to forecast. But then at the same time, I kind of had to shut down some of my parts of the consulting job mm-hmm. over the winter. You know, I'd still do a little bit for clients, but I'd have to rely on Joe a little bit more there uh, to be able to pick up that slack. Yeah. When did you re- first release Slopes? So that was back in September of 2013. Yeah. So it's been a while in terms yeah. of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I assume that's not that wasn't your only iOS app. Um, no, so I had uh, I think the first one I did was on SDK two, I think it was the first SDK or SDK three, mm-hmm. and it was a server monitoring app. I had worked on this is when I had a job job uh, when I worked at Lockheed, and one of my coworkers there, uh, we wanted to write an app just to monitor our various web servers and be able to get those kind of stats on our phone. And obviously back then there wasn't anything like that because it was still you know green pasture app store. I miss those days. Um, but so that was our first app and it sold like nothing, like a couple copies. It just, it wasn't there. So that was the first one. Um, but besides that, that was my only real independent app before slopes. Otherwise I had been doing a lot of consulting apps and helping out in that arena. I was kind of gun shy to start my own app because I knew I'd really go deep into it if I Mm -hmm. did. So that kind of prevented me from doing a second app for a while. And then what did you do from there? Uh, well, lots of consulting. Yeah. At that point. <laughs> okay. Then Slopes uh, was your next app Yeah. Of your so own. I probably had about a three-year gap between that app and Slopes itself. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I knew I, I would want to do something that I could take a serious... Because that, that app was kind of a throwaway. Let's learn yeah. the app store. Let's learn everything there. And I wanted to do something a lot more serious at that point. So I was kind of waiting until I had an idea that I thought might have some legs to it and not just like, you know, the standard nerd itch of like, I want to write an app that I'll use. I wanted to find something that I thought might actually, you know, make a business too. Yeah. Well, are you a skier? Yes. Well, snowboarder. I I was a skier for the first like 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I moved over to snowboarding. So yeah, yeah, this is something that I'll use, um, but it's it's not just something I'll use. It's, you know, something... I think now I'm starting to prove as a business there, but that was one of my metrics for why I wanted to get into it. Do you remember when you first had the idea for Slopes? Yeah, um, I guess kind of traditional Apple user. I was using another app and thought, God, this UI sucks. I could do so much better than this, (laughs) (laughs) which is a shame because the other app uh, is actually very well engineered. Uh, They do a great job. It's just the user interface is like stat vomiting is what I always call it. Mm -hmm. So I was using that for one winter to kind of really start to track my stats. And my friends and I, we'd go to Denny's afterwards or something and try and compare stats. And it was just, we were hopping screens left and right to try and figure out like, where did I go the fastest today on the mountain? And that would took like three navigational hops to even correlate the data. So at that point, I was like, okay, I that's I think when I got my first idea for slopes there of like, okay, I can do a better job. Mm -hmm. But it was still a while after that before I bit the bullet and started to work on it. When you started to work on it, did you think, okay, this is, I'm going to build this app to sell it? Yeah. Yeah. By, by the time I started to work on it, yeah. And what, if any, upfront sort of validation did you do around, this is an app that people want and I can be successful with it? So, I mean, A, the fact that that app was out there for 99 cents and seemed to be top charting quite a bit, mm-hmm. at least showed that there was some market. Uh, what I had to prove was that there was a market that would pay a little more. And I, through some friends, got some access to information on like the ski market and how big that is worldwide, how much people spend there, put out some surveys online. The Reddit uh, skiing and snowboarding communities are pretty big. Um, so it could kind of start to get a feel there for like how often people go, how much they spend, stuff like that. 
and started to get ideas through that for what I thought the market would look like. So how long was it from when you first started to work on slopes to when the first version released in the app store? So if I'm remembering all my dates correctly, it was around April 2013, I started. And at that time, I was still consulting. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wasn't doing this full time. So I did nights and weekends um, up until maybe August of that year. And then I took a month off to get a version 1.0 out the door uh, in time for the end of September, which, of course, had a nice wrench thrown in. Anyone who remembers 2013 uh, iOS developments remembers the new redesign of everything. And so that was a fun wrench to deal with over the summer. Yeah. So the timing would have been that was just as iOS 7 came out. Yeah, I was getting to the point where I was ready to write a lot of screens and code and i'd even photoshopped a bunch of screens at that point so that probably sent me back a couple weeks worth of work yeah and it was important to launch in order to get out by the time the ski season started yes which end of september was still early yeah um i was more timing that for the launch of the new operating system Mm -hmm. i wanted to see if i could get some coverage from that which didn't end up working out But yeah, I definitely wanted to be there out. Part of my strategy was to be there before the season really picked up just that way. I mean, I knew I would ship bugs. You know, GPS is hard. This kind of data processing is hard to get right. So I wanted to get out there super early so I could get feedback as fast as possible. And what was the response to that first version like? Uh, Crickets. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was coming out of nowhere. I, I really, I still barely understand marketing. Yeah. But it was... You know, you're you're very traditional, I think, iOS developer in 2013, just I'll launch it and there will be a splash and then there's no splash. Right. You know, I got some sales. My first season paid for my ski season, which was good. I think it was about, I don't know, $1,500 in revenue mm-hmm. from September to April. Um, so that made me happy. I paid for my ski season, but it was certainly not a business by far back then. And I had done so many things wrong with marketing and outreach and everything. And I just... Yeah, a lot to learn. Well, what are some of the things that you might do differently knowing what you know today about that initial release? Um, I think outreach is definitely one. That, and mm-hmm. I'm still working on that. Right. Uh, but the idea of working with the press and figuring out how to... Wh- I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was it's my responsibility to craft a story that the press is going to hook onto and care about. So when I released in 2013... It was like, hey, look, here's this brand new skiing app for the phone. And at that point, GPS tracking apps, they've been done. RunKeeper had Mm -hmm. been around for a long time, Nike Plus. Like, okay, this was skiing specific. But most audiences on IMOR, 9to5, anyone like that won't care. So I've learned since then to look for the stories that they already want to cover and be a part of that. So, for example, when the watch launched, I was there day one. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they would be writing articles of like, here are the top 20 fitness apps for the watch. And so I made sure to be very public about the fact that I was working on a watch app and get early prototypes out to people so they could start playing with that so that yeah. I would be on those lists naturally. I think that that might have been when I first heard about Slopes was yeah. in that watch coverage. Yeah, that was definitely, I think, my biggest press coverage, even to date. Mm-hmm. That was a wave I was very happy to ride. <laughs> So for that first version, I know first versions can be difficult. How did you feel about it overall? Were you happy with what you were releasing? Um, yes, given how much time I could put into it. Yeah. Um, back then, I joked the version 1.2, which came out a few months after that, was kind of what I wanted my 1.0 to be. Mm-hmm. I had purposely cut some features. And that's another important habit I think I've picked up along the way is knowing you have to just launch 
not have a very terrible MVP, but you can't hold back forever. Yeah. So I had launched 1.0 with some things that I really wish would have been in there, but they weren't. Uh, so mm-hmm. 1.2 is the one I think I was first happy with a couple months later. And that I felt pretty good about. I mean, looking back, it, <laughs> oh man, it's changed so much since then. Well, what? Ha- so that that was going to be my next question, which what has changed since? Oh, since everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I guess two specific things that come to mind. One is my chops as a three D programmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then, the, one of the ideas I had for slopes, and really wanted me to make a, me write it, was the idea of the three D view. Mm-hmm. So. Most fitness apps, most people know, you maybe have an altitude graph at the bottom of the screen, but mostly it's the map. And it's, you know, here's a picture of where you were, a satellite image, and here's where you went. But for skiers and snowboarders, that's only half the picture. We care about vertical. And that's as much of the run as the satellite is. So the idea I had back then was to 3D render what your run looked like. Nothing crazy, just, you know, a nice kind of speed heat map tube that snaked around as your path would have, and you could see the vertical as part of it. And that was definitely kind of the big splash feature that a lot of people looked at originally and went, oh, wow, this is something different. So recently, I taught myself SceneKit a lot easier than teaching yourself OpenGL, by the mm-hmm. way, um, and basically wrote a mini Google Earth to render your your runs now on the mountain itself, mm-hmm. not just kind of nebulously in space. So I think if you were to look at slopes back then to now, I think that's one of the big features that people would notice has changed is that 3D visualization now is feels a lot less amateur, I guess. Yeah. Uh, more what you would expect, Google Earth. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, the change, I guess more on the business side, is I completely changed how I charged. And that specifically, I think, is what turned Slopes into something that's actually a business now. So how were you charging when you first launched and up until the change in business model? So I was doing paid upfront. Mm-hmm. And all of version 1.x was paid upfront. I started at 499 uh, and 2013 was when everything was 99 cents. So, you know, premium. Yeah. And over time, I think it took me a good year. So it wasn't until the 2014 season that I stopped being afraid of charging and doubled my price up to 799. And that kept my sales about the same, but certainly helped my revenue. But even that year, I think I earned like $8,000 or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it, it still wasn't enough to make it work. And before we talk in more about the change, what drives you to try this sounds silly to to be successful (laughs) (laughs) like why why increase the price at all why try to make a business that works i think it might be important to address that like what's what's motivating you to do it this is something that i had pride in the app i thought there was space for it to exist and i thought i just had to find out how to make it exist Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's something that I knew I really wanted to be able to continue doing. I was loving doing it. I was loving having a product. I've always been a product person. I just wanted a product. And this had the great intersection of one of my other passions, snowboarding. So I think it was that drive. Like, I know that this should be able to exist. And then mm-hmm. a willingness to experiment and find different ways to be able to make it exist. I think that's was what really allowed me to play around with my pricing and then my business model and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to just stubbornly say like, oh, this should work. Why isn't it working? I wanted to find the way to make it work. At the same time, you had an- another job. You you were doing consulting and yeah. that was making it so you, your ends were met? Oh, the yeah. Met. I mean, that, that I mean, anyone who's an independent contractor iOS wise, I mean, we're still in decent demand even today. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you can pay the bills pretty nicely on pretty easily. 
And slowly over time, like as my first season was only 1500, you know, so I spent a month or two on slopes. And then the mm-hmm. next year, it was a little bit more. So I spent a little more time. Mm-hmm. So like, I it was one of those things, like I was slowly shifting that scale of how much I'd spend on one versus the other to kind of pay the bills. But yeah, I did have that second job going on, essentially eating a lot of my time. What would, and granted, this is a hypothetical, but what would it have taken for you to stop? For you to say, yeah, I tried and, and this isn't working. Yeah. I think if my second attempt at a business model mm-hmm. had failed dramatically, that would have made me have to reevaluate things. I think I would have kept going on for a little bit because like I said, it was the sliding scale. So mm-hmm. if my second attempt at a business model had failed, but it was still doing $8,000 a year, I'd justify a month a year maybe to work on it. Mm-hmm. But that, I think, would have taken some of the wind out of my sails because I was betting big on this dramatic business model change. Did you feel like at the time that you were operating like you had something to lose or that you had nothing to lose and it was worth being risky about it? I think, yeah, it was nothing to lose Mm -hmm. if I had to look back at that attitude. I mean, the only thing I guess I felt like I could lose was the product itself. Like Mm -hmm. this was at that point my baby. You know, I had spent two years already on it. And I had some passionate users. So, you know, I, I, I was feeling good about the product. So that's what I could lose. But if worst case, I spent this time working on it and it didn't pay off, that's what my consulting was for. Mm-hmm. And I could fill the gaps there. So it it was risky from a feeling standpoint. But I think financially, the only gamble was, am I going to tank the product or not? Which already wasn't doing stellar. So, right. so which brings us to the actual change that you made. What, what was that change? Uh, trying for recurring revenue, <laughs> giving up on the paid upfront and upgrade cycle model. And um, so this was 2015. So two years after launching Slopes, that spring, I think, is when I started to really, I want to, I think my attitude at the time was I want to make an actual serious run at this, not treat this as like a side project hobby thing. Mm-hmm. And at that time, in-app purchases were still kind of dirty. Most people didn't like them. Most people, if they saw an in-app purchase, would insta-delete the app. It was still a time where I think that you know subscriptions weren't even a thing back then, really. So, yeah, that was a fun time to be trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so now in the app, and the way that you describe it, is is season passes. Yeah. Right? Well, that was V2.0 of my business okay, model. Yeah. There was a 2.1, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think my big aha moment on how to make recurring revenue work was sometime, I think, just before WWDC, I was really focused on recurring revenue. And I had some aha moment of, wait a second, season passes to resorts are essentially subscriptions, and they're becoming more and more popular. And why don't I just brand it as that? Like you're paying a yearly season pass and people are already used to it. And they're used to paying a thousand plus dollars for a real season pass. So mine will seem dirt cheap by comparison. Yeah. When I heard that that's what you were doing and that it just, it sort of clicks, right? Because your app maps to something that is happening in the real world that people are paying for on a season by season basis. Yeah. And they're doing it over and over and over again every year. Yeah. And I think that clicking also helps with my users because if I was just saying, I'm charging 20 bucks a year. I still get people who are pissed about that, but Mm -hmm. I think that they call it a season pass. There is kind of that mental linkage there, and that helps 
address my market a lot better. I'm speaking on terms that they're already familiar with, not not treating myself as just an app asking for twenty dollars a year. I'm treating myself as, hey, here's another type of season pass that you can buy. Right. And that I th- that I have no way to prove this, but I think that that helps with the mentality better of why should I pay for this? Because it's something you're familiar with. Yeah. And you can even take that one step further, right? And you have to day passes. Yes. So that was version 2.1 of my business Mm -hmm. model. I had launched with the season pass and a month trial. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people were buying the month and I didn't get why. And did some digging. And it turned out that people just wanted short-term passes because they could only go out once or two a year. They couldn't justify 20 bucks a year for the season pass. So yeah, very quickly. So I launched season passes in November of 2015. And then by early January 2016, I had figured all this out over Christmas break and programmed in, you can buy a day pass or what I call the trip pass, which is a one week pass. Yeah. Um, and that's great for, you know, people going up to Vermont only one week a year. That's five mm-hmm. bucks. And those ended up being very, very popular. It's one of those ideas that I think when when it comes together, you know it's a good one because it's just so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> you started from this concept of, oh, recurring revenue, I need it. And oh, I, we have season passes in skiing, you have gotten to the point where your app purchases exactly match to the ski passes that you yeah. get when you're going skiing. Yeah, which I always call myself an idiot for missing the first time because <laughs> it's so obvious in retrospect that I don't know why I didn't have this idea. Like, why did it take me so long to get an aha moment of a season pass? Like, I, I yeah, it's, it's right. beautifully simple, which I like. And it directly maps to how my users think already when Mm -hmm. they spend money, which I like a lot. So where are you at today? You have day passes and... Day passes, trip passes, which are the consumables, Mm -hmm. and then the season pass. So they're $2, $5, and then $20. Right. And the season pass is auto-renewing. Yeah. When I launched in 2015, developers couldn't use auto-renew yet. Right. Um, Well, unless you're a magazine or dating app or whatever. So last season, uh, so 2016, November... After WWDC announced the auto-renew subscriptions, I hopped on that. So this is the first year I'm seeing renewals uh, that are automatic come through. And it's worth noting that this year Apple made a change so that auto-renewing subscriptions, they normally take 30% cut. Yes. But those renewals will come in and they'll only be taking a 15% cut. Yeah, which I'm very happy that some people were actually renewing. uh, So (laughs) I get to see some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's been interesting starting to dig into app figures and stuff like that and start to see like what the renewal rates are like. And because skiing is hard because people will not go skiing for a year. Right. It happens. So there is kind of a natural churn that's not just due to them not liking my app. So that's something that I'm starting to finally see what churn could look like for slopes and see how many people I can expect year over year to return and give me that mm-hmm. nice 15% instead of the full 30%. So not everyone has, uh, for their app or the business that they're working on, has something which maps so analogously to what people are already buying in the real world. But your story gave me pause that maybe there's more of these things than we realize. Because while your story is obvious in retrospect, it took you years to... Yeah. <laughs> to realize it. And I didn't realize it the first time I heard about slopes or so it made me think what what other things out there or or the next time that I'm working on an app or or a business, are there things that people are like I should understand what people are already buying around the market, around what they're using along with my product? And yeah. is there a way to even just the language 
to, to piggyback on what people are already used to. Yeah, you really got to sit down and like, I think actually write those things down. You know, mm-hmm. how do people spend money in my market today? Because season passes, trip passes, all those things were things I knew I purchased, like I just right. never gave them a second thought. But had I actually like tried to plan that out, that would have been very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I would have learned a lot sooner. <laughs> I think the mistake we make is when we ask ourselves the question, what do people buy in my market today? We replace my market with apps. Yes. Or the product, the digital product that we're making, as opposed to the industry it's in or what the product is doing for people. Yeah. And I think that's hard because for a lot of us, we spend time in the Apple ecosystem or mm-hmm. the developer ecosystem. So that's how we think. I was naturally, when I looked at launching slopes, I was looking at my app competitors and how they charged. And I really should have been looking at my market. And right. I don't get me wrong. I mean, I kind of roughly understood my market, but it's hard to really understand like how seriously you have to take that advice of understanding your market and your niche. And that means exactly what you said, looking at the market itself outside, like look in the analog space for how people spend that money, not in the digital space, because people are cheap in the digital space. You know, that old argument of, oh, you'll, you'll pay for Starbucks, but you won't pay for this. Yeah, people pay for things in analog. And that's something they're usually somewhat begrudging, but happy to do. And in digital, it's a whole different conversation. So you have to find a way to make your purchases analogous to analog ones that they're already used to. I think that might give people a leg up on convincing people to give them money. Yeah. So now when you download Slopes, which I encourage people to do, even just to, to so check it out. <laughs> so what's the what's the experience that you get if you haven't bought anything? Yeah, so this is a freemium is mm-hmm. the difficult type rope to walk. And so I uh, backstory, I was inspired by one of my competitors who was trying to do a subscription thing. I was reading the reviews and all kinds of stuff and seeing people complain or not complain, but kind of joke about how if you just went to the website, you could get all the stuff they're trying to charge for an app. Like they mm-hmm. gave away too much for free and the things that they were giving away weren't that interesting. And there mm-hmm. are ways around all that. Mm-hmm. So I made the hard line decision of when you record for the day at the end of your day, You'll get all the stats, the high-level stats about your day, how fast you went, how far you went. You'll get a nice like, high-level-looking map of what you did, how long you were on lifts, all those kind of things. But as soon as you want to get detailed stats about each run, you know, run number three was my fastest run, and here's exactly where on the mountain I was going the fastest. Basically, a, a, a full recap of your day that you could dig into, that's when you have to start to pay. Mm-hmm. And then also premium maps, because I use Mapbox and they charge for monthly active users. So I need to keep that gated a little bit. And the 3D mountains, because they also use uh, Mapbox. Mm-hmm. But then those also make nice upsell opportunities besides just view more of your data. Mm-hmm. Are you happy with where you're drawing those lines now? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I and mean, I'm starting to try and experiment on more stuff to figure out if those are the right lines to draw mm-hmm. because they're still kind of gut checks. There's still things that I planned out. I don't have A-B testing to back all that up. But right now, from a gut perspective, yeah, I feel like especially with the addition of 3D maps, the new thing, that really, I think, feels like a good balance. It feels like I'm offering really rich, powerful features that aren't just splashy, like premium maps. Eh, mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Um, but like the timeline analytics and the 3D stuff, like that's the stuff my power users are going to care about and really want to see. So I feel like I drew a pretty good line there. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, I'm I'm very fortunate that a lot of my free users, they still love slopes. Like 
if I were to go recording with my niece or my nephew, like they could just use slopes in free mode and they still get to brag. Oh, I went 20 miles per hour. That's so cool. Like Mm -hmm. my free users can still have an experience with their family, with their friends and stuff like that. That's still worth sharing. It's just, they don't get all those analytics. Yeah. So here you are, you're on the cusp of being able to work full time on slopes. What's your next goal? Uh, Don't screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm kind of at an impasse. I mean, right now I'm working on some Apple Watch stuff that I want to hit. That's Mm -hmm. just a feature. I mean, I think it's really just kind of really get a feel for how big slopes can be and try and stabilize around that. And I still don't have an answer for that. This year is going to pay for me full time. I don't know if this is going to be a multi-employee business. That's something I would enjoy. I'm starting to have some subcontractors help me out with some stuff. Like That's nice. It's growing. Um, but I'd really like to figure out where this is going to cap. And unfortunately, I think that's a time question. Yeah. Every year so far, I have two to three X. I don't know how long that's going to keep up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just at this point, try and approach it with some kind of growth mentality, you know, try and reinvest into the business more and more, grow it and just see where it goes. Because mm-hmm. at this point, I feel pretty confident that it can at least be a lifestyle business for me. Yeah. But that might mean making the jump to Android. You know, that might mean a lot of things. So I have a lot of features in my head for where I want to go next. Yep. But I think a lot of it is really more understanding my business, understanding where the holes in my funnel are, understanding what converts better for onboarding, stuff like that. Like, that's my goal, at least for this year, is really understanding my audience a lot better and having actual numbers to back up a lot of my gut checks. That's one of the nice things about switching to a SaaS model, right? Because when you have much more insight into your customers, even if you don't fully own the relationship with them. Yeah. And that's where I built a lot of stuff in for going into this season Mm -hmm. so I could more fully own the data. Like I built Sync so that I now have information on people. That sounds so creepy. (laughs) In a non-creepy way, I now have information on, you know, if you use slopes for the past two years for free... I at least now know that it's before this, all I knew was when you bought something or not. But now I actually know you recorded for three times and maybe at what point you decided to buy something. Was it Mm -hmm. because you went on some super fancy trip up to Canada? I can start to run those kind of analytics and understand what causes my customers to convert. So that's where even Apple saying like with subscriptions, like, oh, well, these are our customers. You can still do things and offer features for users like sync that as a byproduct, get you some data to work with that you can understand them better. Yeah. When we're working on products and and apps, looking at that data about how people use it and what triggers and whether someone's falling off or whether they're likely to convert these kinds of things and then making changes to the product or to how you communicate with your customers is really important to actually having a successful product. You know, in the same way that you found early on, you can't just put an app out there and have it be successful. You can't just put an app out there and not try to make it better with with that data, I think. Yeah, especially when you're not paid up front. And I think that's where the big mental mind shift has Mm -hmm. to come. Because if you're a paid up front app, let's say you charge $50 for some Mac app utility, you don't care as long as you don't really annoy them and they request a refund, you don't care if they're using your app a month from now. But when you're more of a SaaS app, you have to care about that long-term engagement and finding ways to keep roping them in. And that's really affected kind of how I plan things. Like right now, when you download Slopes, you can play with a sample run. I include that just so you have something pretty to look at. But most of the people who download Slopes aren't at the mountain. 
So one of the ladies I brought on that she's helping me with some more of the sassy type marketing stuff. She wanted a call to action for an onboarding email. So we got to brainstorming and I realized I need to include some kind of reminder system in slopes. Mm -hmm. So when you download slopes for the first time and you know, you're going to Whistler Blackcomb, you can say, Hey, remind me when I get to Whistler with a notification to start recording with slopes, something simple like that. But that really helps them stay engaged with the app so that they don't forget to use it. Right. And if I was paid up front, I wouldn't have to worry about that. Right. But being an app that uses in-app purchases in that way, that's a feature I have to include. And again, in retrospect, it's almost duh. Um, but it's not something I had really weighed heavily as anything more than it. Like I had come up with that idea a while ago, but I wrote it off as like, oh, this is a nice to have for users. But right. now that I'm having these conversations, it's more, no, this is going to impact my bottom line. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a completely different way of thinking when you have a SaaS product versus a paid upfront traditional product. Are there other things like that that you're doing differently now? I mean, I think the biggest one was the sync system, mm-hmm. you know, and tracking that kind of stuff. And we're starting to play around with A-B testing inside of Firebase on some of the copy that I had written. Stuff like that, I think, is really just all the things I'm building into my business to let me understand my users. Right. But I think that one right there is probably the first feature that's really, you know, a user-facing nice feature that's more meant to help engagement down the road. Um, You mentioned Android. Is that something that you're willing to do? Uh, So I keep toying with that. I Mm -hmm. have friends who use Android. They keep, they're on me to write slopes. Um, Willing, yes. Get get them to pay you now for it. Yeah. Oh, the the problem is I need a lot of users to pay me now. Um, No, but if they're willing to, then uh, it's a good indicator that people will actually pay for it. The the problem I've had is, I mean, so I ideally like to use Android. You know, Android Studio nowadays is pretty nice. Kotlin looks nice. Like, I have nothing from a, I'm not an Apple fanboy who refuses to do Android. Like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind that. But my concern is revenue. And I've gotten lucky to talk to some other fitness space people that are both on Apple and Android. And I keep hearing about almost the same number, about 80% of their revenue comes from iOS. Mm -hmm. And that makes it very hard for me to justify either hiring someone or I'm kind of always a do-it-yourself kind of guy. So I would teach myself Kotlin and write it for Android. And it's hard to justify taking off the eight months that would probably take to get a version one out the door for a 20% revenue cut. Right. That's still pretty tiny. Yeah. Especially because right now, just being on iOS seems to be going okay. Now that Mm -hmm. might be me with my head in the sand, but it's a hard thing. It's one of those things that like, ideally, infinite time. Yeah, I'd love to be on Android. I'd love to make those users happy. But right now, it's still, I'm not going to grow my business by that much moving to Android versus some of these other things that I'm doing on iOS right now. And that's kind of my metric stick there of... yeah. I want this to be a stable business before I take a risk like that, spending all that time moving to Android and then having to support Android. Mm-hmm. So what's um, what's the thing that frustrates you most or annoys you most with your business right now? What's your biggest challenge? I mean, besides GPS, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the seasonality. It's a mixed yeah. blessing. Mm-hmm. It's something that it's very nice because it gives me the summer to tackle the big issues like sync. There's no way I could ship that in the middle of winter. You know, that took months worth of work, both server side and client side. But at the same time, I have such a short window to experiment with my business and with my customers. I have that bell curve that peaks at January from November to May, April, May. And 
So in the beginning of the season, it's hard to have direct correlations between anything I'm doing because it's naturally growing anyway. Right. So it's hard to tell week over week, oh, that change I made really helped my business. And so it's it's just so much harder to run experiments and to really understand things with that seasonality. And it puts so much more pressure on me because right now, over the next probably month and a half, as we record end of December, like now's the time I have to be full throttle trying all the things before people just won't be buying anything mm-hmm. again. Um, so that's that's kind of frustrating. But at the same time, then I get all my revenue in the beginning of the year, and I have a very good outlook for what the rest of my year looks like financially, so I can plan consulting if I need to, mm-hmm. um, or take time off to work on the big things. So it's it's a very mixed blessing, but that's probably one of my biggest frustrations. Is there an area of the world that has a different ski season? Yeah, the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly I assume much... people ski there. Yeah, they do. Uh, so Chile, <laughs> New Zealand, a little bit in Australia. There are definitely ski resorts down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely the U.S. is my biggest market right. by far. Right. Uh, Canada, England, I believe, are next. Uh, mm-hmm. Australia, New Zealand, those. I'll get some money coming in. But at that point, it's more pizza money. Uh, yeah. That's not real numbers. It's it's. I've had a harder time breaking into those markets. Might it make sense to put more energy there to smooth out or try to create another season? Yeah, I'm skeptical that I would ever create anything more than a small bump mm-hmm. down there because it is a much smaller market. Right. And they one thing is the US, uh, we overpay for our ski resorts by <laughs> far. Uh, so my local ski resorts might charge me $70 in the Poconos, which is our tiny podunk hills. And you go to Europe and you can ski for a day for... 30 euros maybe at the big resorts okay. not to mention our big resorts costing 120 dollars or more a day mm-hmm. so it kind of makes sense to focus on the u.s market just because we're so used to overpaying like one of the experiments i'm running this year is discounting my european season passes to try and see if that helps sales over there because mm-hmm. they can't justify 20 us dollars on a season pass because that's how much they pay to go skiing for a day versus us we pay that much for a burger at a ski resort right so that's okay. i i'm I still have to figure out what my kind of expansion strategy is, both the Southern Hemisphere and Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is tricky when things are cheaper everywhere else. And as a byproduct, that means my product has to be substantially cheaper. Yeah. Is there anything you mentioned running apps and that kind of thing? You know, the, these kinds of tracking apps, there's lots of them. But is there any, is there a core to slopes that could potentially be reused for some other type of mountain activity, outdoor activity? Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me for mountain biking. Mm -hmm. And actually, my first beta testers since it was the middle of the summer were some mountain biking friends. Uh, A lot of times, at least U.S. resorts will uh, let you attach your bike to the back of a lift and run those. That's what I've had a lot of ask for. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. a lot of the UI logic is very centralized to lifts versus runs and then sometimes mountain bikers just don't use lifts they're just going riding at a local park or something yeah and i'm not sure i haven't done any research on how big that market is but i'm pretty sure the ski market is substantially bigger mm-hmm. so that's kind of a natural outreach that i could do but it would still be a lot of ui work to get that going and i'm not sure without research my gut check says it's probably not going to be nearly as big as slopes um, running apps obviously i've done all the headache of gps so running apps are a thing but I mean, I don't want to compete with Nike. Yeah. And it's a different kind of app, too, in terms of tracking different things and displaying them in a different way. Yeah. So it's, I don't think that there's really an obvious next vertical besides mountain biking. Next vertical. Huh. Yeah. (laughs) Pun intended. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, there was some interesting stuff I had ideas for for working whiskey resorts. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was before I tackled sync. My big impasse was either sync and focus on consumer or white label some of this and go with the resorts. And up until two weeks ago, I was very happy I didn't do that because of Apple's shakedown on uh, right. apps that use the same code. Now they have since announced that they're loosening those reins a little bit. Right. And as long as you have a different developer account, submit them. So in retrospect, now I might have actually gotten away with that. But man, my last two months would have been hell uh, yeah. just crying over that <laughs> app store change in policy if I had go down that route, because that's mm-hmm. to white label this thing. You know, that would have been my entire summer right there easily. Right. It's a big change in terms of the sales effort and everything required mm-hmm. to be actually partnering with with ski resorts. Yeah, I'd be enterprise sales at that point, mm-hmm. which my heart is certainly, and that's one thing my wife definitely pushed me on is, you know, where where's your heart at for this app? And it was definitely in the consumer space. Yeah. And I think if I had to go enterprise, you know, all of a sudden they're going to want all, to do all these things that users are going to hate. And I'm basically, I got to do it if I want the business. And that really, I wasn't looking forward to. So I'm kind of very happy I stayed in the consumer space and that then it actually ended up paying off. Yeah. Well, great. I wish you all the best with this upcoming season. I hope it goes really well and that it goes like you're planning and that you're able to uh, work on slopes full time and not have to do consulting uh, next year. I'll still do a little. I like some of my clients. I'll keep them around. But (laughs) so just to, to clarify, like, is that your goal or is your goal to even if you don't need to do consulting, still still maintain a mix? I'll still maintain a mix, but I like that it won't be for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. It'll be, you know, I have a couple of clients I work with that I love working with and like I code for them, but I'm more of a business partner helping guide their apps and stuff like that. And that kind of work I really enjoy. So that's something that I don't ever see myself fully pulling out of consulting, but I'm not going to have to say, okay, I need to take four months of consulting work this year. I think it'll be a lot more short term, higher value consulting type stuff that I would be able to do for them. Do you have any other itching app ideas? If I did, I'd be working on it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's something that uh, it's something I just keep holding myself to. Is anything I could do new going to perform better than what I'm able to do by investing my time in slopes? A, because slopes is something I love. Like, it's not just a monetary reason. I love this app. I love that space. I love that market. So it would need to be something I could financially really justify to pull time away from that when every year, like I said, it's two to three Xing. Like mm-hmm. I'd rather focus on growing that into something bigger, a full product team, than just jump over to my second app. Because yeah. there's a lot I can do here and I have a lot of ideas still. That's great. I think the focus is good. Yeah, I mean that focus and playing the long game, I mm-hmm. think, has been the two keys to slope succeeding and experimenting. But you know, that that ability to focus on something and have the discipline to play the long game, I think is where things can really pay off. Yeah. Thanks, Curtis. Thanks for having me. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 259. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.